I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to the last symptom podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of the last symptom. And I'm so happy to have you here with me again this week. Some of you have been with me for years now. Really appreciate the folks that have been following me for all this time. I, I really do. I did something interesting this week. I I took the the outline that I'm working off of right here, and I posted it uh, ahead of time for our supporters on our locals community to see if it was something that they would like. So now I have to live up to this outline. <laughs> It's a little more pressure for me than what I'm used to. Um, If you'd like to join our online community, that's at thelastsymptom.locals.com or you can download the locals.com app from the App Store and search for The Last Symptom. In this episode, I wanted to talk to you about happiness or contentment. I think of happiness and contentment as being two separate things most of the time. Uh, In this episode, I think we're going to kind of combine the two concepts. Happiness typically is when you get a present. What happens with happiness is that it wears off pretty quick, don't it? It's fleeting happiness. But when we talk about contentment, is contentment fleeting? The new mechanical watch that you get as a present does not add to your contentment necessarily. The new diamond ring doesn't add to your contentment. It's like a temporary happiness. Contentment and happiness is generally two different things. But in what we're going to be talking about today, we're just going to kind of combine the two concepts and what I would like you to think about is your attitude toward contentment or happiness when you think about being content or happy what is the attitude that you live with well thinking about myself back before I recovered from my emotional disorder which was borderline personality disorder And trying to remember the perspectives or the attitudes that I lived with at that time, my attitude about the thing, the, the way I viewed it was that happiness was something that had to be created. 
it was something that had to be made right like if you're not happy it's because you're not creating it in fact a lot of the books that you see like in the bookstores and stuff um, on the shelves all have to deal with you creating happiness and I got to thinking about it the other day I actually this was after a live stream that we did on on our online community our last symptom online community and um, that's that's another announcement I would like to make part of the reason why the last symptom podcast is now every two weeks instead of every one week is that I have adopted a live stream a weekly live stream for our online community on the locals platform so it takes the place of part of the last symptom podcast if you want to take advantage of that you should join our group it's very nice because if you have a question or if you have a doubt or anything like that you can interact with me directly in real time uh, by means of the chat you're not on camera I am so I'm on camera for the audience for the our group and you're communicating to me by means of the the chat makes it superior to this show so if anything's holding you back from joining our group I don't know why that would be but um, there are tremendous benefits to, to join in our group and taking advantage of the of those live streams those weekly live streams what else do I have to say about that well only that you know those happen weekly and this show is now every other week what do you, what do you think is happiness something you create is it something you do in order to experience happiness or contentment you remember we're kind of combining the two concepts for this show is it, is it something that cannot happen until you create the seed plant it nourish it make it happen well when i was unhealthy and living with borderline personality disorder that's the way that i thought about it for many years i thought of it that way it's something that is non-existent until i bring it into existence I reckon is the way that I thought about it but that's not true that has not been my experience my experience has been that it's something that is being blocked it wants to reach you it wants to be there it wants to be active it wants to be in your life it's trying to be in your life that it's not in your life is only because something is stopping it so this is a readjustment in attitude that I would like to encourage all of you to try to to work toward this this readjustment in attitude that happiness or contentment is something that um, is foreign to me and that I'm trying to bring into my life that's not the true nature of it from my experience from my experience the nature of it is that it's trying to get there it, it, it wants to be there the, the natural order of things is that it be there in your life 
affecting your life. It's trying to flow. You're not letting it. That is a really important change in perspective, ain't it? Because you go from trying to create a thing to instead of trying to create a thing or bring it in to just getting out of the way and letting it come in. It's like empathy. In in this last last live stream that we were doing, I was talking to uh, everybody about empathy. Empathy also is not something you do. It's something you experience. So if you're trying to empathize, if you feel like the reason why you're not empathizing is because you're failing to do a thing, you're failing to, to empathize, that's the wrong thinking about the whole thing. With empathy, if you're not experiencing it, the only reason that can be is because there is an obstruction. And like I was telling folks on the uh, live stream here this week, empathy is not, it's not something you do, it's something you experience. Empathy, empathizing is something you experience. It's not something that you do. Think about these examples. A water hose, water pipes, a water faucet, a Wi-Fi connection. You go to a hotel and <clears throat> you want to connect to the Wi-Fi. You open up your iPad, you open up your laptop, you open up your phone in the hotel. You see the Wi-Fi connection there, the one that they told you. Uh, best Western, <laughs> best Western Wi-Fi. You open up your your phone, your laptop, whatever, and you see Best Western Wi-Fi, and you click on it, and it nothing happens. Or what happens is that a window pops up that says Enter Password. Why are you not yet connected to Best Western Wi-Fi? It's because something you're doing is hindering the connection. Right? You haven't typed in the the code for that yet. It wants to connect. It's trying to connect. You just haven't typed in the right code yet. So what has actually happened is that you're preventing it. Something you're doing is preventing what it wants to do. Do you know how your water faucet at home works? This is interesting because when I was doing some upgrades here to my studio, called my old buddy Lambert over. We were going to do electric. And um, while we were doing electric, I had dug this big, deep trench outside the studio. My thinking was... Well, if, if I have to dig a trench for the electric, why don't I just dig a trench that's deep enough to go ahead and run plumbing out here? I did that, if you'll remember. If you guys have been following me for a while, I did that. And long story short, um, it started getting, the, the year, the season started getting long in the tooth. I just said, come on, get out here, let's just do this. 
electric. I don't have the finances right now to do plumbing, but let, let's go ahead and do the electric. But what I remember about him was that he, he was asking me, like, what, what do you want here? And I said, well, I would like, a, you know, a commode. I'd like a commode. I'd like a, a sink. He says, do you want like a shower? Do you want a bathtub or anything like that? No, no, nothing complicated like that. I just want a, a commode and a, a sink to like wash my hands in. And then I'll build up the structure around it after that. And I was asking him about, do I need gravity to be working in my favor or anything like that To if, if I run uh, water pipes? He says, no, the water pipes, will, they're self-sufficient. They, they do their own thing. In a water pipe, the water is pushing through all the time. It wants to flow. You don't have to suck the water through. It, it's trying to flow through. The, the faucet on your sink is actually preventing it so think about how your water faucet works you might have thought until now that when you turn the knob on your water faucet that this causes the water to flow it's actually the exact opposite the water faucet works the exact opposite way the water faucet in your house or your apartment does not cause water to flow when you turn it on that doesn't cause water to flow the water is always trying to flow on its own what the water faucet in your house does is actually stop it from flowing so when you turn the faucet not you turn the nozzle on you're not causing it to flow what you're doing is you're opening up the pathway so that it can flow what you're doing is removing the obstacle that is preventing it from flowing on its own so this is the truth for happiness contentment empathy, love, and all these good qualities and states. In my experience of having recovered authentically from a, a very profound emotional disorder, that is exactly the nature of, of the beast. Happiness, contentment, empathy, love, all of these good qualities and states are a natural state they are trying to flow if you're not experiencing them it's not a matter of you creating a suction system so that they flow toward you that's that's not the thing they're already trying to flow so they're like the water in your sink they are already trying to flow something you're doing is obstructing them that's why the the title of this episode is called happiness is a natural state your natural state is to be happy happiness wants to affect you it's trying to reach you it's trying to affect you we can say happiness or contentment it's all trying to get to you 
so why aren't you experiencing it? The reason you aren't experiencing it is because you yourself are obstructing it in some way. There's no difference from what I experienced as the water in your bathroom sink. That water wants to come out. But until you turn the lever or the nozzle or the, you know, the thing, it can't come out. It's trying to, you're not letting it. When you turn it on and wash your hands, all the that backed up pressure is coming through those water lines. It's been trying to come out the whole time. So you, you open up the, the water lines and there you get to wash your hands. That's the, that's the proper attitude. So you wash your hands and then you turn the nozzle off. What have you just done? You have stopped the natural flow of water. When you turn the water nozzle on, you're allowing it to do what it natu- naturally wants to do. You're not making the water flow. You're allowing it to flow. When you turn it off, you're preventing it from flowing. That That's the true nature of that. So what, what happens with contentment, happiness, empathy, love, all those good things? Are those things that you have to try to create? No, they're already there. They're already trying to flow. The only reason that they're not flowing is that you're not allowing them to. So what can you do with that information? Well, it it affects the entire approach to the whole thing, doesn't it? The nature of what you're involved in is not in trying to create something superficially. What you're involved in is trying to remove obstacles. It's like a water hose or water pipes or a water faucet. What would happen if you were in your bathroom and you tried to turn on your kitchen or your, sorry, your bathroom sink, wash your hands or something, and um, no water comes out? You call a plumber. He comes. He looks, takes a look at the thing. He's not trying to figure out why your particular faucet isn't forcing water through it. What he's looking for is what is in your faucet preventing the water from coming out. That's what he's looking at. Likewise, when we think about our contentment, our ability to empathize, our ability to love in an authentic and genuine way, it's not a matter of um, that we're not creating those things. It's that we're obstructing those things. So it's 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 a really important adjustment in attitude that has to be made. What what is the nature of the activity you're involved in here trying to correct these things? You're not trying to create anything. You're trying to get out of the way. You're trying to unobstruct what wants to to happen on its own. And, you know, recovery 
authentic recovery does not involve um, in most cases creating the things that we feel are missing from our life in most cases it involves uh, clearing out obstructions from the pipes right it, it already wants to flow so authentic recovery involves much more much more involves cleaning out obstructions than it does creating anything I hope that helps you with with your work somebody on Twitter said why do people become more bitter as they get older did they make bad choices or does life just get harder um she's partly right ain't she if she's just looking for one question or one answer to her question she's going to be very disappointed there's not just one answer to why people get bitter as they they get older in fact her question itself is kind of like an all or nothing thing right why do people become more bitter as they get older do all people get more bitter as they get older <laughs> no of course not not all people get more bitter as they get older but some people do and even my answer does not answer the question completely my answer was this a lot of disillusionment happens over the years. Disillusionment. Remember, remember in the past we've talked about disillusionment. It's a killer. Because it says, why even try? But I said a lot of disillusionment happens over the years. A lot of necessary readjustments in perspective between what you assume about life and the reality of life. Then the healthy healthier people do some work acceptance sets in and with that contentment starts to return that has certainly been the case in my life and there are still dis disillusionments that I deal with um, I'm not a perfect man there are certain assumptions that I live with about life and every once in a while those assumptions are challenged I have to re make re necessary readjustments in my perspective about what I thought life was all about and what it's actually all about but then acceptance sets in and with acceptance contentment do you know who John Muir is John Muir was a philosopher he was a naturalist he believed in the preservation of the natural world rather than the conservation of natu the natural world do you know what is more popular today um, preservation or conservation well if you answered conservation you're right conservation is the concept that you can mow down a thousand acres of trees as long as you plant 
more trees in their place. John Muir was not of that mindset, and neither am I. John Muir's con- um, philosophy about life was not about conservation, but about preservation. L- leave it alone. Leave it alone. Th- that's the answer. When it comes to the natural world, and that is my philosophy about things, too. For John Muir, pursuit of his love of science, especially geology, often occupied his free time. Muir soon became convinced that glaciers had sculpted many of the features of the Yosemite Valley and surrounding area. That's the thing about John Muir, is that it's probably because of him that Yosemite National Park exists today. He's kind of the father of the national park. But John Muir was convinced that glaciers, that the reason why Yosemite is so beautiful, the way it looks, the way it does, was because of glaciers. How did that measure up to the intellectual scientists of John Muir's day? Not very well. None of them agreed with that. In fact, John Muir's concept of glaciers having had any real influence on the Yosemite Valley was in strong contradiction to the accepted contemporary theory promoted by Josiah Whitney. Who was Josiah Whitney? He was the head of the California Geological Survey. So I'd like you to imagine John Muir, who is a regular guy, just a regular guy, But he spends a lot of time out in Yosemite Valley. Spends a lot of time out, nose down to the ground. An intimacy with the natural world. And as he's studying the natural world, he begins to think the only thing that explains any of this are glaciers. Glaciers affected the, the, the structure, the outcome of this whole region. And this butts heads with the head of the California Geological Survey which it, uh, is headed by some head, headed again by somebody named Josiah Whitney this is a very credentialed person very celebrated and credentialed person lots of schooling and Josiah Whitney who holds this elevated position, head of the California Geological Survey, says that John Muir is a complete fool. What happened as Muir's ideas spread? Did Josiah Whitney, the head of the California Geological Survey, come up with very convincing arguments to present as a contrast to John Muir's ideas? 
No. That's not what he did. What Josiah Whitney did instead was try to discredit Muir by attacking his qualifications. John Muir, he viewed interaction with the woods as almost a, a spiritual experience, like I do. And then you get this Josiah Whitney, who is a university taught indoctrinated individual and he wants to attack and undermine John Muir based on the fact that he's uncredited he's an amateur he can't possibly know what he's talking about because he hasn't had the same schooling as Josiah Whitney Um, this is back like around the the year 1900 and have you seen anything change today you haven't seen anything change today as regards to this sort of thing fortunately Luis Agassiz the premier geologist of his day saw merit in Muir's ideas and lauded him as the first man I have ever found who has any adequate conception of glacial action I I don't take any uh, personal insult in the fact that uh, of anybody from the professional community who would say that the things that I tell my followers are without merit. But if you're one of the folks who have stuck with me or who have begun following me based on what you know, what you recognize must be the truth, I applaud you. There, there is no greater wisdom or knowledge or intimacy with a thing than somebody who has had their nose right up in it. Right up in it. As John Muir's example illustrates. I have here in the outline, the only time my dad asked me what I was thinking, doing, singing was to find fault with it. And I have specific memories of him saying, what, what do you think about this? What, what are you doing? What were you just singing about? And me shutting up. Because why? Because I knew his intentions were nefarious. Some part of me knew that his intentions were nefarious. He wanted to use that against me. He wanted to use that to beat me down more. He come out on the porch one time. We were, uh, my brother and I were spending the night on the porch because it was a thousand degrees at night in the summertime, and we wanted to just sleep out on the porch. I had a radio playing out there, and this was in the late '80s, and um, the song that come on the radio was uh, "I Think We're Alone Now." I think we're alone now. Da 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 da. da. And that song come on, and I started singing it. Dad come out. He says, "What are you? What? What were you just singing?" I could not bring myself to tell him. You know why? Some part of me knew that he did. He wasn't really interested in what I was singing. He wanted to use it to beat me down 
was not based on any interest in me at all or in my likes or my dislikes or anything like that. He wanted to use it to destroy me. To further the notion that he had been instilling in me for years that I was shameful. I was broken. My likes and dislikes were shameful things. I was a shameful thing. How many times has that happened to you? Probably a lot of times. Somebody years ago, and I'm just now getting to it, so I forgive, ask forgiveness for you, from you, if you were the person who requested it. I think it was Joy, to be honest, uh, who sent this to me years ago. She said, the topic I was thinking of for you to talk about was hoarding. I could be wrong, but I've seen it with a few people with personality disorders of some sort. Joy, if it weren't you, forgive me for, for misremembering. This person says, so I'd be curious to hear your take on it and if it's really a symptom. I think it is. My answer is that any compulsive behavior has the same underlying causes. So... What are some compulsive behaviors? Sex addiction, any addiction, alcoholism, OCD, cutting, so forth. I think of it as like a dam, big dam that's about to break. It gets a hole in it, and somebody comes up and puts a plugs a hole plugs that hole with their finger has the pressure behind that dam going anywhere it has not it's just been redistributed right and so it will look for that pressure will look for any other weakness where it can come out so any compulsive behavior represents some excessive pressure trying to escape from some underlying emotional discomfort what are some other examples how about these girls who dye their hair all the time they dye their hair all the time you you hear them talking about how they can't dye their hair anymore because if they do their hair will become brittle and start to break and you, you gotta ask yourself well, what led you to dye your hair so many times you get to a point where you can't dye it anymore because your hair is so damaged how about buying a new pet all the time like every time you turn around somebody you know has a brand new pet compulsive buying spending constantly moving just bought a house got it exactly the way they like it now they're not content they want to move somewhere else it was like their dream home and now they're not content they got to move somewhere else as soon as they got what they wanted they got to go somewhere else settling down but then getting restless what is behind all of that what's behind all of that is that inner peace is not there there is no inner peace or contentment 
what are they doing? They're compensating for any inner peace or contentment that should be there. They think that if that the reason why they're not happy is because of their situation. If they just change their situation, they might find their happiness. Remember what we talked about at the beginning. Genuine happiness is a natural state. It's always there, regardless of circumstances. If you're not experiencing it, it's not because of where you live, who your neighbors are, what your hair looks like, anything like that. It's because of something inside of you that's blocking it. Compulsive behavior comes from the false idea that inner contentment or peace or happiness is based on external factors. It's not. It's not. Inner peace, contentment is based on inner factors. It's not affected by outside factors or circumstances or conditions. So, I had a few more things to talk about. But I'm going to stop right there because we're out of time. Oh, let's talk about facts plus their implications. So sometimes um, we arrive at facts, we don't draw out their implications. So we, we take a fact at face value, and that's a mistake. That does not take full advantage of the thing. It's wonderful to recognize a fact as a fact, but that's not the whole exercise. The whole exercise is to then say, well, what are the implications of this fact that I've just learned? So, for example, let's say that you unconsciously view your feelings as an action taken. In other words, you feel, you believe that by feeling a thing, you have already done something. Furthermore, you believe that what you feel can be categorized as good or bad, right or wrong. So, on the one hand, you believe that, for example, I desire a sexy woman. I see a sexy woman walking by. I desire her. And your perspective of that is that you have done a thing. Secondly, your perspective is that how you feel toward the, per- the, the sexy woman walking by can be classified as good or bad. Are any of those things true? Neither one of those things are true. Feeling a thing is not doing a thing. So, I see a sexy woman walking by and I feel a sexual attraction to her. I haven't done anything. I felt a thing. I haven't done anything. Is what I felt good or bad? Let's say that she's a married woman, mother of three. And I looked over at her and I desired her. Does that make a difference? That she was a mother of three? The specifics, right, of who she is makes a difference regarding my feelings, whether my feelings are good or bad. Wrong. That's wrong. I haven't done anything. Therefore, there is nothing to classify as good or bad. 
there is nothing to classify as good or bad there. Me feeling attracted to a, a mother, a married mother of three kids, is not me doing anything. I haven't done anything. I experienced something. I experienced desire. But I, I didn't do anything about the desire. All I did was feel a thing. But, you say, this is not just any woman. This is a mother, a married mother of three children. Surely that's wrong. No, it's only wrong if if you're working with the premise that by feeling a thing, I have done something. And I haven't done anything. Feeling a thing is not doing anything. It's, it's I experienced something, but I didn't do anything. So there you go. That's a mistake of unconsciously viewing your feelings as an action taken. <clears throat> right? And just feeling a thing is not any action you've taken. Furthermore, you believe feelings can be categorized as good or bad, right or wrong. And they can't be. So I've explained that to you. And you go, oh, my gosh, a lot to think about there. But you fail to think about it. Did you get the full benefit out of the thing? No. You don't get the full benefit out of the thing until you spend a long time thinking about the implications of all that. Remember what we're talking about here? Facts plus their implications. Spending time drawing out the implications rather than simply taking a thing at face value and moving on. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't contribute to your recovery until you spend a lot of time thinking about the thing and about all the other ways that that applies, all the other areas in life that that is relevant to. So it's not enough just for me to feed you facts. You have to spend time thinking about the implications of those facts. What does that mean? Holy mackerel. How does that completely change everything in my life, present and past? Like I have to I have to take that, think back into the past and apply that to the past and see where that might have affected my life incredibly. Some other examples. You don't view your human value as inherent as inherent to the thing. Alright, so example you don't view human value as inherent to the thing what does that mean it means human value does not come from being a human the value is not in inherently or innately tied to the thing itself the being a, a human oh my gosh that's a per, pretty big revelation y- yes but it's not quite as big as it could be. It could be a lot bigger if you spend time considering the implications of that. How about fear of abandonment? Fear of abandonment. I live with fear of abandonment. And I tell you, yeah, that's a child's view of the world. It was appropriate to you at one point. It's not appropriate to you anymore. Why not? 
you're not a child anymore. When you were a child, you were dependent on people. So this idea of fear of abandonment was a real and legitimate concern. But you are not a child anymore. It's no longer a legitimate concern. Oh my gosh. Oh my God, that's enormous. Well, it is enormous. But it's not as enormous as it could be if you were to spend time really ruminating over all the implications of that. How about happiness as a natural state? That's one thing we've talked about today, right? Something to think about. Something you probably should ruminate on. And that's the show this week, guys. I had a campfire story. I'm not going to have time for it. Hope you guys have a wonderful week. I look forward to talking to you in two weeks. Please join us over there on thelastsymptom.locals.com. Take advantage of the weekly live streams. I would love to interact with you and be able to give you some feedback on some of your thoughts and concerns. All right. Take care. Thank you.